I saw two people fall in love in an online class. In the late 90s, I was a student at Texas A&M, and we had the Center for Distance Learning Research, and the center was built on this idea of distance learning in real time. And they had these cameras that were about the size of VCRs, so big cameras. And the idea was that we would all be meeting in class together. And they had centers set up in Austin, in Houston, in College Station. And we had classmates that would come and meet in real time, 7 to 9, in our classrooms. And we would get to know each other over the video cameras. And you would listen as the camera would rotate and move around the room and it'd make a noise to point to who was going to speak next. It was voice activated. And one of my classmates began to notice one of our classmates in Austin. And they began to ask each other questions as the courses would progress. And each time when class would get started, we would be so excited to see our classmate in Austin and that he had shown up. And our classmate here in College Station, they began to talk. They began to get to know each other. And before we knew it, he had moved from Austin to College Station. They married. They have twins, they're academics, and they've had a great life together. So when people tell me or ask me, can you build relationships in online classrooms, I always give it a confident, absolute yes. You can build a lasting, long-term, effective, positive relationship through online learning. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. One of my biggest pleasures of being on the faculty is getting to work with exceptionally talented colleagues. Nearly every day I find myself in awe of the people with whom I work. It's easy to feel inadequate when you're surrounded by extremely intelligent people. My guest this episode is Julian Yarbrough, clinical assistant professor of management, as well as our assistant director of continuous improvement. That's a mouthful. Uh, and she is one of those people I strongly admire. Julian, what is it that you do for the College of Business? This is something that few outside of academia would ever know about. What I do, um, well, what I do on paper, I guess, is I teach organizational behavior and cultural intelligence and principles of management. Um, so I teach these classes and try to bring about effective learning that's bridged through technology. What I might do unique, I guess each of our personalities brings something special to the university. And when we all come together, we're, we're each like puzzle pieces, each faculty member. And I know what you're saying. Everyone is so talented. And we know that each other, each faculty member is talented. We know it on the surface. But when we stop and talk to each other and you begin to realize what they're doing in their classroom, it can, it can take your breath away. I am just amazed. And so I picture myself as one of the puzzle pieces, and, and I hope that I'm an, an important piece, just like every puzzle piece is, that brings maybe a unique color or a unique shape to help put together the total picture. But I guess my personality and the way that I think about teaching is um, 
is is a nice part of the overall college of business. And and what is this continuous improvement thing that's part of your second title here? I love the idea of continuous improvement and it's really a nice fit with management. So my PhD is educational human resource development. So with HRDV we're constantly thinking about developing faculty, hiring faculty, supporting faculty, and making sure that employees and organizations have meaningful work. And how we have meaningful work and how we support employees in having meaningful work is we develop them. The employee that you bring in should be different in 10 years. They should be more advanced. They should be more motivated. They should have more opportunities. And so that's kind of where I've trained and where I've worked. And so bringing that to academia with thinking about continuous improvement, we're just doing that within the college, with each faculty, with each student, with each program, with each piece of curriculum. We're thinking about always moving what we have today to something better tomorrow, to something even better next week. And it's a great way to work. It's very meaningful. And that's what we're doing with continuous improvement. How can we look at our college and what can we do today that makes it better for our students next week, next month, next year. But why is it important to keep focusing on constantly doing things a little bit better? Don't we ever reach a level of good enough? I think, I think not, but I do think we can be happy. We can be happy today. We can be proud today. And we can look back and say, you know, we have moved the needle from where we, where we were last year. Good. But what we know is technology constantly changing. We know globalization giving us access to more and more diversity. And it is critical that we are preparing our students for a work world that's different. The work world they're going into in another year, two years, three years, five years, is not the work world we have of today. So we have to be advancing our curriculum, advancing our case studies, advancing the technology we bring into the classroom, um, advancing the way the student thinks and the information the student has. They've got to have contemporary information from us mixed with trusted theories so that they're ready for this advancing dynamic business world that they'll be going into. I know I receive uh, assessment newsletters by email from you several times each academic year. How do you go about selecting which aspect or aspects of our programs to evaluate each time? I mean, is it a, a complete canvassing or just a sampling? And what is your method to this madness? <laughs> <laughs> it is a huge ongoing undertaking. And I have to say, and I, I would say Robin Patterson is, uh, Dr. Patterson is the mastermind. And she has a visualization of what we're going to be doing. And so I follow her lead. So she has a great plan and she's always modifying the plan based on data. And she's got the data organized and um, in, in such a way that we can see we can see, visualize what's happening and where there might be gaps and where there are opportunities. And so Dr. Patterson is constantly pulling in data. We're constantly asking faculty, um, can you share some more information with us? Can we look at this? Can we scan that? And we're setting up our systems so that we're constantly collecting information. With that information, Dr. Patterson is looking at finding opportunities, 
finding gaps, and those become our focus. And um, each, each semester we do have areas of focus. We're going to emphasize this learning objective this semester, and we're going to study it and make sure we're, we're right on track. So we have specific learning objectives we're measuring, but then again, we're constantly collecting data, and with that data, we're looking at it. It's meaningful. It's not just going into a you know, a, a, just a database and not being analyzed. And we're carefully thinking about what are our greatest strengths and how do we keep building on that and where do we see a gap. And I don't think we feel that a gap is a deficit because everyone's working really hard. What that means is it's an opportunity to change. So if we see a gap, then we focus in and say, what, what, what do we need to do here? And that means contacting faculty. And we have this great team of faculty. So I say Dr. Patterson has the vision, and she's identifying this roadmap for us. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with her and help her. And then it is the whole faculty that come together. They're always, I've, I've never had a faculty member say no. Um, they're always giving information and support and helping us examine those opportunities and gaps further. How does this benefit all of our students? And I must say, I bet most of our students don't even know we're doing this. <laughs> I think it's it's been, I'm going to categorize it as in, inspiring to see the clear learning objectives that we have for our program, for our courses, um, for the disciplines, very clear, effectively laid out um, learning objectives that are designed with purpose that are measurable. And the reason we have these learning objectives is we are lining up with what AACSB says is a quality program. And we also care that our students, as I mentioned, leave our program and they are ready for the dynamic, global, technically advanced environment that they're going to be sent into. Every learning objective that we have in our program is not only lined up with AACSB, it is created with that purpose. We don't have any learning objectives that we just threw in there. Maybe we'll see. They all have significant purpose, and our goal is a quality learning experience. Even our choice to, um, to work uh, continuously towards quality uh, alignment and accreditation, that choice is founded in our goal of offering quality learning to the student. The student is always the purpose. So if deficiencies, or as you call them, opportunities, <laughs> are found, what steps are taken to make sure that those opportunities are worked on? One of the things that I've noticed, Dr. Patterson, um, we, we have data, so we make decisions about assessment based on the data, and, and that is critical. And she is very transparent with the data. So that also allows um, groups of our faculty, as I've mentioned, these we have a brilliant team here, and we can bring them in, share the data, and identify gaps. And if there is a gap, I what I see the response being is, is not frantic, is not um, sadness, anything of the sort, but okay, here's, we are measuring at this number, we want to be measuring higher to this number, um, who do we have on our team that's an outstanding expert in this area? We identify the person, they come in, they help us, and we fill in that gap, and we fill it in quickly. And that, again, is so that all the students are having an optimum learning experience. 
So we've just started the spring semester here, 2023. Do you use findings from last fall right away, or does this all just get rolled into the next academic year? That's, that's something that's fabulous. We have, of course, our entire accreditation cycle of data. And we're coming to the end of this accreditation cycle. So we've got, you know, lots of data from this last six-year full cycle. But um, we are also, you know, we're looking at short-term gains and long-term gains, right? So we're looking at where were we last semester and what were we trying to work on and what improvements did we make. But we also look back to one year, two year, three years. We're constantly moving from short-term and long-term thinking about um, what about those gaps we filled in from four years ago? This was one of our goals four years ago. It's now filled in. What did we do? How did we reach that? And how might that apply in making this change? And so it's, it's important that we look at short term as well. It, it, we're not going to leave a gap for two years. If we've identified a gap in, in something that we want to improve on, we're going to move quickly. And so we want, it should be changing from semester to semester and improving. Do you ever uh, pick on specific faculty, like you're a bad person, <laughs> your scores are not high enough? Uh, do you spotlight someone for their uh, opportunities, not deficiencies? <laughs> and, uh, or are they measured in a more general sense? I have never seen that. What I see is... Um, First, we identify these, these strengths and these gaps. And if we identify a gap, we're bringing in the team of people. I've never seen a person identified as a gap or a, a score reported such that an individual is singled out. And I, as I mentioned, we're all a big puzzle, right? And we're all puzzle pieces, and, and I believe that. Um, we're all contributing and supporting each other. I've never seen anything thing like that. But what I have seen is if we have a gap, we look at who might be able to answer those questions or be able to fill in support or help explain what might be going on. And that's always a team of four, five individuals. And if you bring them together, they can always find a solution and we begin to move forward. I see that as a great way to get better buy-in from the faculty because if everybody feared that they may be singled out <laughs> for something, uh, it, would be, it would be pretty scary. Uh, I know in the principles of marketing class, we've got three or four different professors rotating through, and um, there's always at least two, usually three different people teaching it in any given semester. Right. So rather than pick on Dr. So-and-so, we're going to say, we've got an issue or an opportunity, I guess, in the principal's class, and this is how we're going to try to fix it all together. And it, it usually is a team. It's a team fix, and it's also, a, we want to shift the way we're thinking, but it's also usually our team maybe has veered off or a little bit off the track. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always a team identification and a team improvement. That's good. I know uh, just in, in my own discipline, uh, this semester we're going to revisit uh, the book that we use. And mm -hmm. by virtue of that, we're going to revisit the assessment exam that we wrote uh, just a few years ago because things change. Constantly, yes. Uh, we need to uh, find a more up-to-date book uh, because a lot has happened in the last three years. You know, if you think about it, going back 10 years, no one even mentioned 
digital marketing much at all. <laughs> and now it's front and center. Yeah. And, and we've got to have that up there. Yeah. So what types of learning environment factors have influenced assessment and continuous improvement through the years? I mean, I've been here a long time. I can attest to there being many changes in our methods, our curriculum, and also the students in my 30 plus years here. Oh, those are those are brilliant. I I would think our student needs are a significant driver. What type of jobs are our students getting? What type of jobs do our students want? Um, and how do we create um, AACSB accredited aligned curriculum that is also supporting our students in achieving their goals? And that's going to be a constant change. You know, m as you mentioned, many of the jobs that students are getting today didn't exist. 10, 15 years ago. These, this is a whole new workforce. And then how they're going to complete their jobs with technology, completely new. So the student needs and the student interests cause dynamic, uh, a dynamic learning environment. And we're, I think, excited to make those changes. I think the pandemic changed a lot for us. Um, we kind of, uh, it changed the way we thought about teaching it changed the type of technology we thought we could bring to the classroom. It changed the way I know um, several faculty members, the way they set up their course and how they distribute information to students. Um, and I think, um, I think our faculty are always learning. They're lifelong learners. So every time, you know, we have faculty and I speak to them, they are changing the way they offer tests. They're changing um, the type of, um, lectures. We can even just watch an evolution in the lectures that we used to offer, standing still, maybe just us, or maybe recording, you know, um, from our desktop. And to the, we have a studio now that is closed captioned, and we can do dynamic things. And many of our faculty can create really high quality videos on their own. So I think the, the student the market and certainly the pandemic changed the way we were teaching and what we were offering. So you mentioned your uh, your degree. What other types of training and experience do you bring to the table? And and also, how did you wind up working with Dr. Patterson? <laughs> so my bachelor's degree is in education from Texas Christian University, and um, it's early childhood education. And I enjoyed that. I did my student teaching, um, and I knew I loved teaching, but I didn't feel the calling to be in the classroom, the the the, the elementary classroom, um, even though I loved it and I loved the children. So I went on to graduate school, and educational human resource development is in the College of Education. It was a nice next step for my graduate degree, and it focuses on adult learning. So I like to say that I've... Uh, I've learned to teach people from pre-K to adult. And it's interesting, there's a lot of overlap, <laughs> but there's also a lot of difference. And what I found in teaching adults and in higher education, what I love is that the college student brings so much to the classroom. They have experience, they have knowledge, they have um, sometimes job experience and those types of things that you can wrap into um, teaching. And so uh, educational human resource development. And from there, I was a business analyst, an operations, ma uh, operations manager, 
Um, I did a postdoc in um, information technology, and I've um, been an executive director for a nonprofit. So I've done lots of things. I think those are good experiences, especially for HR. I teach primarily HR courses, so I have hired, I have fired, I have uh, developed, I have walked through employees uh, bringing concerns, everything from uh, workplace bullying to not liking where they sit. And I, I think both concerns along that spectrum are important and must be addressed to support quality um, work environments. So I've also done training and development for corporations. Um, so I have, oh, I guess, a wide range of academic and industry experience. Um, but my, my love has always been learning and lifelong learning. And I believe that's how you have a good life is if you choose to keep learning. And as we keep learning, we can make goals for ourselves and we can overcome challenges. That's been my experience. And so I know that all of my students and myself included, everyone's got challenges they're facing. And the best thing that I can offer for them is information or how to get information. And from there, you can begin to overcome whatever challenges or at least face them and so I think it is my love of adult learning and education that allowed me to contribute to assessment and continuous improvement um, educational human resource development is is constantly looking at an employee where they are today and then saying where does the employee want to go or where does the organization want them to go and then we develop them into who that who they want to become I don't think of HR as as much of um, punitive or, or as much, you know, firing. I really think HR is about developing and, and helping people become, uh, moving to self-actualization in their work. And I think assessment is the same. We're trying to each day move the college incrementally towards this highest level, this self-actualizing work for the faculty, self-actualizing learning for the students. And I think that's how I ended up with assessment. So, okay, do you have to also be in continuous improvement mode? I mean, does somebody assess the assessor? I think I think that is my opinion that you have to be dynamic and constantly changing. I do think it could be debated. I do think somebody could sit next to me and and what what I when I talk about that, I don't want people to experience anxiety or <laughs> or have a constant feeling of they're not enough. Um, I do, I'm, I'm very proud of, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself, I'm proud of my college, I'm proud of our students, but I also know if we stretch ourselves, each one of us, then everyone collectively is stronger. But who assess, I guess, uh, yes, the assessor is being assessed, right? Every, and, and, and we have goals, we don't just set the goals and think our assessment goals and think, oh, well, let's see how close we can get. Um, there's passion and, and, and drive behind those goals. We intend to reach them. And the assessors are answering before anyone's asking why we haven't reached the goal, if we haven't. But we're reaching our assessment goals. But should we not reach an assessment goal, the assessors are self-evaluating and explaining why before our dean has to ask, and, and then we keep working. So what are your goals as assistant director, and where do you want to see our programs in the years ahead? 
I think my goal is 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 that I'm contributing something. And what when when with the assessment to me, it is a constant small looking at individual detail, like individual assignments, all the way out to understanding where our college ranks um, among other college of business and where we want to be. So that's that's a lot to be looking at all the way down into individual classroom assignments, all the way out to where we hope to rank nationally or globally. And we're doing that constantly, and I hope that I am contributing. And I think the way that I can contribute is when I have those opportunities, every semester we look at individual assignments and make sure that within each classroom we have assignments that are helping students reach these, as I've identified, the, uh, I already mentioned, these important learning objectives. So we're not just guessing. We are looking through assignments in, in each class, and we're saying, does this assignment, which learning objective is it helping, and how much is it helping? And that is something that I can do in making sure that those assignments and, and they do, and they're amazing, and it's probably one of the funnest things that I do in looking at faculty assignments and realizing the caliber and quality of learning going on in the classroom and realizing they do line up with the learning objective. And I think that's where I help because it is that small step, that lining up an individual assignment, it matters with the learning objective. And from there, each building block out will help us reach those, you know, where our goals are for our university. And I, I would say as assessment and as a college, our goals are always to have the highest quality learning experience that is supporting the needs of our students every semester. That's our goal. After the break, we'll take a look at how assessment and continuous improvement fit into accreditation and specifically what accreditation means for us here in the College of Business. There's a reason why our programs are rated so highly by independent reviewers. We are committed to continuously improving what we do. Whether it is in the classroom or online, the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business strives to stay ahead of the curve, not behind it. Join us in the classroom or online and see the difference. We're WCSB accredited and among the most elite business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT business degree in hand. For more info, find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2525. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we are here to help you reach for those stars. We're back with Jillian Yarbrough, our Assistant Director of Continuous Improvement. Jillian, how does all this pertain to our accreditations? And, and while you're answering this, please explain for our listeners our current accreditations and what this AACSB is, you know, it's alphabet soup of, of sorts. And what does this mean for our students, the faculty, and the college in general? Well, AACSB is an, a, it's the premier um, accreditation body for colleges of business. It is important that students stop and think before enrolling and investing their time and their money and their energy in studying business. It is, it's important that you select a university that 
has a college of business that is accredited. And that is another layer, an external layer, that is verifying the quality of the learning experience. And it's important, and it is something we want at WT. We care that we have this external um, layer that is, acc is accrediting us and saying this is a high quality experience. And wh what I, it's, it's, it's a huge undertaking. And it is a lot about transparency and communication and commitment. And as I mentioned, we have clear learning objectives and these learning objectives are identified um, in alignment with what AACSB says is important for an accredited university. And we are watching those learning objectives and moving back and forth from understanding that each course, each assignment is actually contributing to these learning objectives. We are gathering data. We are transparent with that data, with the accreditation body, with our faculty, um, um, with, uh, you know, all of the, anyone who would like to know, I think, could ask for some of this information and we'd be happy to share. And it is because we are choosing to take this additional effort and this additional work to line up with AACSB. And this alignment, when AACSB puts that stamp on your university, they are saying this is a college of business that, um, is operating in alignment with these quality, high-quality learning standards. Accreditation is obviously not a one-and-done proposition as uh, we come under the magnifying glass every five years, and we're about to do it again in a month. But why isn't it enough to just get your accreditation and kind of, you know, kick back and relax? Well, AACSB is, is dynamic as well, and what what they are offering and what they are analyzing and understanding as a quality college of business, it's changing. It modifies with the student, with the data, with the uh, global learning environment, with expectations of universities. And so AACSB is constantly upping their standards. They pull their standards forward and are always seeking for improvement. So a AACSB accredited college of business cannot sit still. We must also be pulling ourselves forward, improving our teaching, improving um, the, the environment, and, and improving um, the outcomes for our students so that they are prepared for the world that is ahead. Well, as we've been preparing in the last year or so uh, for the next visit, I, I keep hearing things like these new expectations of societal impact and thought leadership. We didn't hear about this five years ago. Where did these come from and what do they mean? We are hearing more and more about societal impact um, and that it is a priority. And if you think about it, it it's actually very meaningful and it's, it's, it's very re rewarding and I think will bring value to the students and to the faculty. And what that's about, it, call it, you know, colleges, we have resources. And how can we be directing our teaching, our research, and our resources to bring about improvements in our community? And I really think, I don't think we have 
every one of our faculty members wants to be doing that. And AACSB is helping us kind of coordinate and organize such that that becomes a top priority. I think certainly with the pandemic, we've all realized that we are all more interconnected than we have been before. And it's, it's really important. We have a responsibility um, as faculty members. We have this opportunity to, to do research. We have an opportunity to share new ideas. And then our university has resources. And are we using them such that it's bringing value to the community, um, giving back? And I think that those are important characteristics, not only not only for the community, but also for the college in building a culture where we are demonstrating giving back and that will also help generate students who understand that as part of their daily operations. I think it's a great uh, shift. How important is it to be accredited, um, and, and not just any accreditation, mind you, but by the premier business accrediting body in the world? I think it is the difference between simply paying, just throw, well, I'm trying to be careful. I think it is the difference between paying for courses that may or may not benefit your career and paying for courses where you're going to learn and be prepared for a job and recognized as coming from a great university. And obviously, a non, I'm, I'm saying the non-accredited university they are not going through all the checks and balances. They are not demonstrating transparency at the way that we are, an accredited university. We are going through internal checks and balances, of course, with WT standards. Then we have gone through external checks and balances with AACSB, plus we are being transparent. And I think employers look, they look, and they want to see, and they want to hire people from accredited uh, colleges of business. I think it matters. And it tells you, as an employer, if you're hiring from an accredited university, I'm pretty sure that this student was given the opportunity to learn high, it was given a high quality learning experience where they had the opportunity to gain the skills necessary for this job. If the college of business is not accredited, and I'm an employer, I'm not sure what the student was offered. That's my perception. And, and do you think the students truly are aware of all this? I know when I was in grad school many years ago, I went to a you know, big flagship school of a Midwestern state. I know now that it was accredited by AACSB, but back then I didn't even know what this stood for. I had no idea. I was just busy getting my degree. Um, I, it's, you know, sometimes I say it's what you don't know that you don't know that can kill you. Um, in this case, it actually worked out well. But I, I, I wonder if, if our students even know what's going on. You know, I think it's, I agree. It's, is it something that we're taught in high school, you know, to search for an accredited? I, I was not. Um, I have high school-aged children. I'm not hearing them talk about, I want to be sure I'm in a, an accredited <laughs> uh, college of business. So I'm not sure that you're, I wouldn't blame anyone. I'm not sure you're given that information, but you're given the opportunity now. And I would say, and what I do say to students who are talking about selecting graduate schools um, and things, I have those conversations a lot. And there's a lot of options now with online learning. 
and I would not, I would only go to an accredited university for a degree. A degree is costly um, and it is important and it should prepare you to contribute something unique to an organization. WT is doing all three of those. And if you go to a university that, or, or a college that is not accredited, um, we, we, we not, we're not sure that that's going on. And I'm going to say that I know for sure many employers, um, I'm not saying they wouldn't hire somebody, but I am saying they would say, oh, no, this isn't an accredited college of business. And it, it would make it more difficult for you to be selected and hired. I remember back to the late 90s when we were first accredited, but it was by a different agency. Uh, but the previous dean had ambitions uh, starting about 15 years ago, and he pushed us all to reach for the stars. Uh, it was a gargantuan effort by everyone, and I'll never forget it, that's for sure. Uh, we essentially rebuilt everything from the ground up, adding in layers of accountability, and higher standards than we ever had before. That process made us who we are today. Uh, the College of Business, it's, it's a very, very different place to work and learn in than when I arrived back in 89. If you had to predict what our classes and programs will look like in 10 years, what would it look like? That's something I think I think about. Uh, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I started in distance learning in the late 90s. and I, you know, you can vision all kinds of things. Um, I, lo I love to see the virtual reality examples and the idea of students, you know, sitting on their couch in their home and putting on virtual reality goggles and then their avatar sitting in the lecture hall together um, or just graphic avatar. I think those are amazing. I do think that those types of things will be part of some classes when and if those types of technologies contribute to the learning objectives. I don't think it'll be part of all of the classes. I think the guiding principle or guiding what will guide us in terms of what we become is going to be the needs of the students and the types of jobs that they are going to achieve. And what type of technology do they need exposure to to be effective in the job they're going to have? And I think we will incorporate that as, as, as within our classrooms so that our classrooms look like the work environments that they're going into. Um, but I do think, you know, the virtual reality is here. And, and many universities, it's possible. It's something that is possible, but it, we don't want the technology to distract from the learning. The technology should enhance the learning. And I often think about labs. I think I spend a lot of time thinking about labs and how we'll bring labs uh, to distance students and what that might look like. And we can see software's already beginning to solve some of those problems. So I think we'll be more technically advanced in 10 years. And I think we will have a classroom that is preparing the students for jobs that don't exist today. So it will be different, but again, still guided by 
um, the student need. And I think some students will still prefer face-to-face -face, uh, classroom learning, and we'll have that for those students. And there'll be some students who are seeking uh, fully online virtual reality classrooms, and we'll have that for those students. After we received our AACSB accreditation, the previous dean had these huge plexiglass signs installed up and down the second floor here that bear the letters of our accreditor. More than anything, though, these signs are not meant so much to inform others as it is to serve as a reminder to us. They remind students, they remind me especially, that I have a responsibility to uphold everything that this accreditation means. And I hope it reminds the students that they are getting a very solid education. Not a day at the office goes by in which I fail to be reminded of these things. I see them as soon as I get on the second floor. I can't miss it. Your thoughts on this? So we talk about in management, making sure your mission, values, and goals are clear, right? And one of the things that I did, I, I've done training and development in lots of organizations, and I'd like sometimes to start a training and development. What's the organization's mission? What are your values? What are your goals? And very often, there's not, not many responses, and sometimes there are no responses. And I think it is critical that we know our mission, and it's critical not only that we know it, that we reflect on it every day, because that's why we're here. And that helps us as a team make our good individual choices. If our individual choices as faculty are always lined up with our mission, values, and goals, we're all together in this. And um, I think putting the AACSB out there is important. And I'm like you, I never forget. And when I see it, I'm also proud. And I recognize that the faculty here before me, what you all went through, it, it is a huge undertaking. That's not why not all colleges are accredited. It is hard, it is difficult, and it's important. It's rigorous, and I appreciate, and I think I'm so thankful I joined after we were accredited. And I, I'm appreciative for the work and the effort that was put into transforming us. Um, I'm thankful to be a part, a small part of, um, of maintaining dynamic changes such that we, um, re, you know, continue to stay aligned with AACSB. And I like that we maintain AACSB at, at the forefront because it helps us remember that we're here to offer high quality academic experiences for each and every student. So as a regional university, we have a more balanced approach to the three pillars of academia, which are teaching, research, and professional service. Our annual evaluations are weighted at 50%, 30%, and 20% respectively for those three, which reflects clearly that the most important mission-driven aspect of what we do is teaching. Mm -hmm. But we still have to do research and professional service. While we are allowed to set our own percentages and weights and so forth um, as, as compared to other research-intensive large schools, sometimes to me, though, it still feels like the weights are all 100, 100, and 100 because you can't be deficient in any one of the three. 
How hard is it to juggle all these activities, all three of these things, and at the same time somehow remain current in your field? I think you do have to be engaged in all three. And one a great strategy is to think about the classes you're teaching. And again, that is our priority. Uh, we are focused on quality learning experiences for our students. And, and, and I hear it over and over, and I, I, that is our focus. But, but as you mentioned, I, I agree too, it feels like 100, 100, 100%, right? And a great thing we can do, and I've seen lots of faculty do well, is lining the three up. So can you do um, research that is related to your teaching so that the research is improving um, you know, your teaching, so a relevant theory that you teach to the students going more in depth with your research and in application so you can explain the theory and why it matters, or researching um, the theory and how, how effectively to teach it to students or something like that, lining them up, and then also the service. You can line your service and your research and your teaching up. You can do research on the service projects that you've been um, offering. Some of my favorite projects, I'm also an advisor for the Society for Human Resource uh, Management, SHRM here. I'm a co-advisor with Dr. Chauhan, but um, he and I work together on that. And some of my favorite service projects have been um, been teaching job skills or resume skills to um, a women's shelter. And, and then if we can talk about um, how, how do you teach job skills and resume skills and using that information in my teaching and then writing research on such a service project. If you can build them together, sometimes you can have a positive outcome in all three. Another thing I've noticed in recent years is our ability to attract highly talented professors. The list of PhD programs in which our faculty have studied is very impressive, far more so than several decades ago. How important is it to you as a faculty member to be at a highly accredited institution? It matters. Um, it each, I, as I meant, I kind of picture us as a big puzzle where each, you know, faculty, we look at teaching a little bit different. We each look at research a little bit different. Um, we have different philosophies. Um, and when we come together, we create a very strong learning experience. And having faculty who are from these uh, amazing research institutes come and teach with us, A, it enriches my work, in, work environment I get to learn from the faculty and hear what, you know, about their research, about what they know, about their educational experiences. Um, but the combination also further propels our college. And um, as I mentioned, you know, when, when you earn a Ph.D., when you earn your bachelor's degree, when you earn your master's degree, when you earn your Ph.D., that degree symbolizes a group of academics all agreeing this individual has earned this degree. The, the uh, you know, many, many academics along that, that uh, degree path, right? All conferring, and all of those academics will have different vision, vision and ideas. And so to have a diverse team of academics come together and say this individual has earned this degree 
it says something about that individual. And when it is a, you know, a high-level research institute that has a team of academics that have come together and said this person has earned their PhD, they have created a high-quality dissertation, it says something. And I think that is reflected in the high-quality teaching and research that those individuals bring to WT. We, we really do have an outstanding body of um, colleagues. Outside of academia, though, so much of this is still just pomp and circumstance, you know, an alphabet soup of accrediting agencies, the one that we have, they're the others that we don't have. Um, and, and many people simply just don't understand it. But, Jillian, you've done a great job explaining it. When we come back, we're going to take a look at our online programs and the online learning committee that Jillian also chairs. The economy always leading in the daily news. It's no secret that there is a shortage of professionals who understand what's going on in this world. The Master of Science in Finance and Economics prepares the next generation of thought leaders who know how to prepare institutions and companies for the great unknown. Whether you seek employment in business, government, or as an instructor, the MSFE will ground you in all the theory and show you how to put it into practice. Demand meets supply at the corner of finance and economics. It's no mistake that our MSFE is consistently rated as one of the strongest in the nation. We're ACSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT MSFE in hand. Waivers are offered for the GMAT. For more information, find us at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. I've told this story all too many times, and I know you have had to sit through it more than once, but for the benefit of our listeners, Jillian, I'm going to tell it one more time. It was back in spring of 97 that I was invited to consider teaching online, something that back then was an emerging phenomenon that no one, especially me, knew anything about. I was the second person at WT to go online and the first in the College of Business. That first person left right away. So I have, I'm grandfathered in as the grandfather, I guess. Anyway, my first online course, Marketing 6340, the seminar in marketing is the longest running online course not only in the college, but also here at WT. But in many regards, I felt like I was handed a butter knife to carve a path through a seemingly impenetrable jungle. But we, and I must include all my colleagues here who jumped on the bandwagon shortly after me, we not only carved a path, we built an interstate highway. And I've now taught more than 110 online classes, and I know there are many others here who have taught dozens and dozens. But teaching online is one of those things that many people simply still don't understand. You really don't know until you try to build an online class that you figure out this takes a lot more time than just showing up for 75 minutes twice a week. It's a class that never ends, even when you're asleep. And I can tell you stories because I've got students all over the, the country and around the world, all in different time zones. The light never goes out on these classes, and yet I wouldn't have it any other way. I've been exposed to students from many walks of life. 
uh, whom I would never have met before. And these people probably could never have physically come to Canyon to study in the first place. But now they can tap into the amazing depth and breadth of the faculty we have. We really have come a long way in the online arena. Jillian, what have your online teaching experiences been like at WT? It's been my favorite online experiences as a teacher. And as I mentioned, I mean, I, I also, like you, I've had many years teaching online. Um, and online at WT means community, more so than I've ever experienced. Um, I've been able to build a true learning team. And I think it has to do with the philosophy and the goals and the um, interest in the student obtaining learning objectives, right? So what I mean by that is I feel like my online learning classrooms are a team. And we, we begin the semester together and we're, we get to know each other. And by the end of the semester, we're a team. And that's been different. I, I think a lot of online learning classrooms are kind of set up um, you're on your own. Just good luck and finish the work. That's not how it is at WT. WT, we're hoping, we want you to be a buff. We want you to be part of this university, whether you come to the campus face to face or not. And we care about WT and we care that our online students have the WT experience. And one of the things you said, you know, there's people constantly are talking about, um, uh, the online learning and what is that experience like and like you I think it is an amazing experience where we have this chance to bring together as I call it a learning team that under no other circumstances would this group of people be together and it's the only time this group of people's going to be together and they really are at WT all over the world and the chances of building a network or learning something special or unique about um, you know, what it's like to be an active duty and a full-time student, um, these different things, what it's you know, living in different states and in different countries. This is a great team. And is it different than face-to-face? -face? Yes. But is it less? No. Um, and I think the idea of this, I, I like to think of that every time I set up a class. This is the only time that this exact team will ever come together, and let's see what we can do. I, I can tell you lots of success stories along the same line. My oldest daughter did her MBA at WT online and then got a great job in Dallas with a digital marketing agency. And you know what? Those skills she learned working as a team in the online environment with people from all over the world, they transferred into the workplace. She has colleagues from her own company in Asia and in Europe. She has email communications with them, Zoom meetings, but has she ever met them face-to-face? -face? No, but she considers them colleagues and friends. Mm. And she learned that skill in our program here. And in spite of all that, there are still some people who roundly criticize online learning as oh, it's somehow not legitimate, you know, it's uh, just a mail-order degree. How do you respond to critics? Well, as I, one of the things that I, I love learning, obviously, <laughs> and I like thinking about graduate schools and undergraduate. I enjoy it. I think about 
colleges all the time and I study them and what programs and and so one of the questions that I get asked a lot and that I also enjoy answering is where should I go to graduate school what should I do next where should I get a PhD and I like to think about that and there's so many options now because online learning right and I always I'm always telling my students first and foremost you've you've got to make sure it's accredited you've got to start from there and then think about what are your needs and there's so many talented people now that have families they have jobs they're not able to um, give up everything their house their their children uh, and move to another state and live for two or three sometimes five years finish a degree and then return to a life, you know, a family life, you've got to. And so it depends. Is the student, do they need some flexibility? If they do, I say pick an accredited university. When it is accredited, you're going to have a rich learning experience. And like you said, um, I, I also have worked at a global organization, and I had colleagues all over the world. I did not meet all of my colleagues face to face. I had meetings that were different times during the day. I had to be effective via email. And that is the work world that our students are going into. And being an online student prepares you for that. I also believe in online learning. As I mentioned, I think that's the only time that team will ever come together. And, and I believe you know, that team is to get there for a purpose and they have something valuable to contribute to each other. And this team could not come together in a face-to-face -face environment. So of course I love face-to-face -face learning, but I also love online learning. And I believe they both are rich learning experiences that can prepare people to be highly effective employees or researchers or whatever path they want to take. Um, online learning is amazing. It's now we've gone we've got so much great technology so many seasoned faculty um, and it, it, it's a very rich powerful meaningful learning experience if a student chooses to allow themselves to have a rich meaningful uh, learning experience now I'm on your online learning committee and I'll say it's my favorite committee I really enjoy it and committees are usually not to be enjoyed um, please tell our listeners the types of things we've been doing the last couple of years. Well, we started, we're two years old, we're a baby committee. And in our first year, we started gathering research and information. And I think this was a great foundation year. So all of our, all of our team members uh, on this committee are gathering articles, um, looking at videos, and thinking about what is online learning and what could online learning be at WT? And this is a great team of individuals. They're, they're very, very strong online um, professors. And so to have them, it is really fun. It is fun to sit and listen to them and read their work. So we spent about a year kind of gaining a foundation of research, application, videos, what might we become. And I think this year we're morphing into, I'd like to see us working with people in one-on-one -on -one or group scenarios where we're exchanging ideas. I, I don't, I think all of our faculty is outstanding and all of our faculty is strong in online learning. They don't need basics. They don't need, you know, nothing of, nothing, nobody's starting from scratch. 
And in fact, if we would sit, we could learn from every faculty member something that would make us each better online learners. But my goal for the online learning committee for this second year is that we are looking with individuals and groups of individuals within our college and brainstorming together such that the individuals or groups outside the committee are teaching the committee and the committee is teaching individuals and groups. And we're all talking about online learning and we're all thinking about what is possible. And um, I, think, I, I think it's going to be a good year. Great. But as you've noted, not every student is cut out for online classes. You have to be self-starting. You got to be disciplined. You have to be the kind of person who thrives in a low-context environment. You have to be able to deal with a little ambiguity as well as long-distance peer relationships to get through those group projects. You know, you're working with people you've never met before. But guess what? That's how it is at a lot of companies. Uh, Zoom, email, phones, they help alleviate a lot of the time and distance gaps. But some people only do well in a high-context, face-to-face classroom environment. Where do you see the balance in our online versus face-to-face going in the years ahead? Because right now, we're pretty much about two-to-one online versus face-to-face, and it is the online that fueled the vast majority of our growth in the last decade. Well, I think we're changing. So when, when you and I started in online learning, it was we were trying to determine, and this is decades ago, we're trying to determine, is it possible? Is this possible? Can people learn by themselves at a computer? And over the decades, the answer is absolutely yes. And in many cases, it is a better learning environment for many people. But as you mentioned, it is not for everyone. And I, I respect that. Um, you know, um, there, it's not for everyone, and it's likely there are some subjects that likely benefit from face-to-face um, uh, learning. So we have to keep that in mind. I think WT will always have a place for people who seek face-to-face learning, and they'll have a place for people who seek online learning, and they'll have a place for people who like hybrid. That, I think that's always our goal. Um, but I think as, you know, uh, my daughters, uh, whether, re- whether right or wrong, had access to iPhones, you know, maybe while we were eating dinner when they were, you know, 12 months old, they were holding an iPhone and they could maneuver the iPhone. They could put on a video that they wanted or they could watch a television show. Um, they had iPads and things like that. And I do think as um, the younger generations come into the university, they will be seeking technology in their learning. I, I think that they are technology and learning are fully integrated in some of the younger generations. And that's going to change the demand for technology in the learning environment. My online classes today are very different from the flat text-based courses I designed 25 years ago. Of course, we were using dial-up back then. I now rely on video and audio, especially the latter. I'm huge into audio. That's why I do the podcast here. Um, 
But thanks to ubiquitous broadband and mobile devices, which we all have now, students and profs alike can access anything anywhere. But I learned long ago that student engagement is perhaps the most important factor in online learning. And, and it's easy for that old adage, you know, out of sight, out of mind, to set in. After all, you never really have to show up, not physically, but you still have to log in and on a regular basis. How does a successful online professor engage his or her students? Um, some of the things you've listed, you learning about your course, your courses are dynamic, they're fun, they offer content in a variety, uh, you, videos, audio, text, um, all of these different methods, and that's important for engaging students. Um, where we, you know, I like to think about learning preferences and learning styles. Are do you have the content set up that it would be beneficial to a kinesthetic learner, to a visual learner, to a, an auditory learner, to, and you know, to the best of your ability. Offering these diverse opportunities to learn is important. Um, I also heard you say that as online teachers, we're never done. I agree with that. I agree. Um, I'm constantly checking in my classroom. And now it, it's different. I don't feel overwhelmed. I don't feel overworked or something like that. It's different. But I, I check in my classroom every day because something could come up. And it's, it's kind of changed the boundaries of my week, right? It's kind of changed the way I see my evenings or I see my weekends. Um, so in order to keep students engaged, I'm not sure online learning teachers, you know, can walk. Well, I know they, you can't walk away Friday through Sunday. You can't. You, you have to be with them because something can happen. A folder could not be opened. An assignment might, might not be able to be submitted. A discussion thread takes a different turn than you expected. You have to be in there. So in order to keep online learners engaged, you have to think about, are you offering diverse content? I think the online teacher must also be engaged. And if you're not demonstrating engagement, the students aren't going to be engaged. And that means it is likely you're going to be in your classroom seven days a week. Lastly, what are the challenges for online faculty in staying current not just in their field of learning, but also in the technology to deliver it all. It's, it's a huge um, challenge. I think it's an important challenge, and it is something you have to do conscious. One of the things that I try to do is go to, uh, obviously, I, I teach management, so I would go to management conferences or HR conferences, but I think it's equally important that we go to a distance learning conference or a technology learning conference and try to go once a year or once every other year and go to as many presentations as you can and see what are other people doing. Also talk to, just here, I can just go down the hall and ask some of my colleagues, what are you doing? And it's, it's amazing. But it is critical that we continually understand the technology that's available, but that we not just implement the technology to do something fun. Unless we, that is the assignment, something fun. It is so important that we have a wide 
knowledge of technology, but that we include technology in our class. And I'm talking about apps or, um, you know, podcasts or games or virtual reality or these things. What is the meaning of the technology and does it contribute to the learning objective? And you have to have a vast knowledge of technology to be able to understand that and continually change the technology in your class such that it is lining up with learning objectives. So I guess the two ways that I think faculty can stay engaged in learning about technology would be go to a distance learning conference. They're fun. Those are so fun. And then also um, talk to your colleagues because I guarantee you have a colleague two doors down that is using technology that you've never heard of. Our guest today has been Jillian Yarbrough, Clinical Assistant Professor of Management, as well as the Assistant Director of Continuous Improvement. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Jillian. It's, it's been good getting to know you a little bit better and your background and all the things that you know about online learning and assessment and so forth, things that I don't know or didn't know until just a few minutes ago. Uh, and this is also critically important as we head into the home stretch of our review period. It's only a few more weeks. Jillian, give us your best shot before we go. Keep learning, and distance learning is a great way to remain a lifelong learner. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our director of marketing and outreach initiatives, which includes overseeing BuffSpeak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is director of accreditation and is our technical consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is dean of the college. You can find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings. Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff speak.